This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. start a series called three to one now if you've been around church or been around God first for a while uh, you've uh, you've probably heard us talk about three to one three to one is a book and it's also a, it's like the charades isn't it it's a book and a film no it's actually a book and a little movie that explains what what the gospel the good news of Jesus is all about in, in three to one uh, and we thought about this that we've got a course coming up in in October and we've had some people come on that course. Some of them are here today and become Christians. Uh, some people have loved going on that course. It's, uh, there are invites available. It's at the Holiday Inn. It starts in October. But we were talking as, talking as leaders and we thought, you know, one of the reasons maybe why people haven't invited their friends is because they haven't got a clue what it's about. They don't really know what it's about. So what I want to do this morning is give you a little taster of three to one. Now, if you're thinking of coming on the course or you're thinking of inviting friends on the course and coming with them, obviously we're not going to fit in uh, three Sunday morning talks, even though you know I'm long-winded. We're not going to fit in like a a five-week course. But what we want to do is give you a little taster of what it's about so that you can invite people if, if, if that's what you want to do. But also I think it's going to do you good even if you haven't got any person to invite because I think it's going to help you. If somebody said to you, what do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about the good news of Jesus? The reality is I'd, you, I'd hope you'd have some idea where to start. And since I've been doing this course and since we've, well, we'll show you the video this week, but since we've been using the little kind of two-minute video um, and, and the course, then I've actually got an idea of how I'm going to talk to people like Jesus. So I start off with talking about three, and then I talk about two, and then I talk about one. So the, the three it, it, this, week is going to be, uh, this week is going to be about three, and it's actually the idea that God is a loving community of three. And then next week we're going to look at two, and that's the world is shaped by two representatives, Adam and Christ. And then, week, uh, and then the one week is about how we need to become one with Jesus. So we're going to give you a little uh, kind of uh, touchdown on this, on this course. And actually those three things, Trinity, Adam and Christ, and, one, and union with Christ, are almost like core doctrines of the Christian faith. And we want you to be able to get a grip of it, but also to synthesize it so that if somebody asks you what it's all about, you, you, you could have a go. So that's what we're doing. Are you okay? You're good, You're good for that? Some people say, what happened to Exodus? That was last week. We're out of the promised land now. We're into the gospel. Okay, I'm just going to pray. Lord, I thank you for uh, the truth of your gospel. Lord, in many ways, it so becomes so familiar to us. But Lord, it's so radically life-changing. Lord, I thank you for some of us here, for many of us here. Lord, that we've heard the good news about Jesus. And it's changed our lives. And Lord, we're committed as a community of disciples, of followers of you, to reach out to people that don't know you and tell them that God is not the God they've rejected, but a different kind of God, the God of love, that he's come in Christ to change the world and that we can be united with him and joined in his family. So I just pray for this series. Lord, may it be really powerful and impactful in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Great. Okay, so we're looking this week at three. I don't know if you've got a man draw. Obviously, if you're a woman, you have a woman draw. Woman draws are different. I didn't want to explore that. Uh, but, but man draws, uh, if you have a man draw, if you click man draw, there's actually um, the most amusing uh, sketch by um, Michael McIntyre, who actually, if he would became a Christian, he would be the best preacher ever, wouldn't he? But, you know, he, there's a little sketch by Michael McIntyre called, called, called the man draw. And he says, you know, there's, there's, there's a little drawer in the house somewhere where, where, where no one uses it. And you think, actually, I would like this man drawer. I, I want this man drawer. So you, you say to your wife and you say to your family, can I have this man drawer? Uh, and they say, what do you want it for? And you say, ah, it's a man thing. I, I want this man drawer. And then what you do is you find that into the man drawer goes, well, okay, I've got, I got a screwdriver. Uh, I've got a screwdriver. That, that, you know, that I'll put that in there. The, in, into the man drawer it goes. And then you've got some keys uh, some of them are keys that are relevant, and some are keys that are like keys from houses that you lived in, but you don't quite know what it is. And you think, but I can't throw a key away because who knows? It might fit a door somewhere. So what you've got in there into the man drawer go your keys, and then you've got lots and lots of like cables and leads like that used to fit equipment from years ago, and you've got the instruction manuals from the IKEA piece of furniture that you put up when you were a student. You think, well, I better just keep handle. So in the go, all into the man drawer, and you put all these stuff in the man drawer, and you think. Well, it might come in useful sooner or later. Hands up if you've got a man draw. Obviously, if you're a woman, if you're husband or partner or your friend or your dad, you know, let's not get into that. I've, I've got a man draw. In fact, I've been denied the man draw. I've got a little man tray. <laughs> it's a tiny, I mean, I kid you not, it's, it's about the size of this quick plug, G1, it's uh, invite, and I've got to put a little few buttons on, a few golf tees, a little bit, a few stuff, and, and occasionally my wife looks at that and goes, you need to tidy this, and I think, I have got the smallest, <laughs> smallest man drawer ever. But it's interesting, I think that we can, we can do, that's the, after that, the, you're not going to laugh, that's the, the whole funny bit, Michael McIntyre watched the sketch, much better than me, but um, actually I think with, we, we can do this with, we can do this with faith. We can have the same idea with faith. We can have this kind of junk drawer for faith that you might think, okay, well, uh, I've got some interesting questions about, about life and the death and the universe, but I, I don't know what to do with them, but I'll just put them in the man drawer. And you know, I, my mom and my grandparents or whatever used to go to church and they got an old Bible, so in the man drawer it goes. And then you think, well, you know, it's almost like you have foreign currency. Oh, I know nothing about foreign religions and other uh, religions, other contemporary religions, so into the man drawer they go. And then basically you think, right, okay, I, it might come in useful sometime. All this kind of religious stuff might become, really become useful sometimes because, you know, if something happens, I'm going to know what to think. You know, so, so if, there's a, if there's a death or a tragedy in the family, you kind of go in the mandrel and you sort of start a route around and you think, I don't know what, 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 what is it? You know, there's, there's like a big bunch of keys and you say, what is the key? What's the key to my solution? You know, what is it? What, what's the answer to what I'm thinking about life and death and the universe? What I'm going to do that? And, and you think, I don't know where to start. And, and three, two, one is a way to say, okay, we're going to give you one of the keys. Uh, the key, by the way, is Jesus. If you hadn't guessed that, that's where we're going to go. But the key is Jesus. But actually, this is a great quote about Jesus. It says, without money, Phil Schaff's a, a historian, by the way. Without money, armies, or violence. I know Christian churches have done violence, but Jesus never did violence. Without army or money or violence, he conquered more millions than Alexander the Great. Uh, Julius Caesar, Mohammed, Napoleon. 
Without science and learning, he shed more light on the things human and divine than all the philosophers and scholars combined. Without training in eloquent speech, he spoke words of life such as were never spoken before nor since and produced effects that lie beyond the reach of orator or poet. Without writing a single line, he set more pens in motion and furnished themes for more sermons, orations, discussions, works of art, learned volumes and sweet songs of praise than a whole army of great men, both ancient and modern. This is Jesus of Nazareth. Time magazine uh, occasionally uh, runs a kind of man of the century, uh, man of the year, uh, and, and uh, what happens is that, that w- there was a, I, th- I don't actually if he made the front cover, but actually they said, vote for your man of the century, or vote for your kind of man of all time. And actually, uh, 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 Americans, because they love Jesus mostly, and they, they voted for, for him. And I think, I don't know, did anyone know if Time Magazine actually allowed Jesus to be the man? No, I don't think they did, did they? I don't know who they got. But he isn't going to be like this guy, is he? There's no way. That, but Jesus is almost this man for all time, this most influential person. And so, you know, if, you, if you're a Christian this morning, you're not a Christian morning, I suggest you run, rummage around and you find the key called Jesus and you say, okay, well, let's see what this unlocks. Let's uh, read a Bible verse. When we do three to one, it's more kind of themes and ideas, but because it's here this morning, uh, I want to work through a Bible passage a little bit with you. Uh, so we're going to read uh, John 1.1. 1, 1. You tend to get this read at Christmas, but hey, it, it kicks here. So let's read this. Uh, John, uh, the disciple of Jesus, writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. We're singing about that. And that life is the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's true that. The darkness has not overcome it. You might think, oh, the world is a mess. This light still shines. The true light that gives light to everyone is coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling amongst us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Out of His fullness, we've received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who's at the Father's side, has made Him known. Brilliant verses. Brilliant verses. It's almost like John's saying, okay, I've got something to tell you about this guy Jesus that's absolutely staggering. You've got to understand that John was Jewish, uh, uh, a Jewish man, uh, and Jewish men were taught from from a a young age. uh, I'm not being being sexist. The Jewish society was kind of sexist. The men used to pray, thank you God, I'm not a Gentile or a woman. So the men were taught to pray. Obviously, Jesus changes all that. The women get to pray as well. But the men, the men used to pray this thing called this prayer called the Shema. And the Shema says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. The nations around believed in loads and loads and loads of different gods. But the Jewish guys, the Jewish religion was, we've got one God. 
monotheist. We're one God. We pray uh, the Lord uh, is God. But what happened is as they're journeying, you've probably heard me talk about this many times, as they journey, they start this realization, this guy is in a different category. He's healing the sick. He's forgiving sins, though it's not being something that's done against him. He's calming storms in a way that they're so freaked out that they go, what kind of guy is this that the wind of waves obey him? They're constantly processing the question, who are you? Who are you? Because he's no, he's not just an ordinary guy. Although he's a carpenter from Nazareth, he's not an ordinary guy. And they're processing that. One time Jesus says to, to his disciples, who do you think I am? And one they say, well, you're this guy, John the Baptist, or you're an old prophet. Uh, and, and they say, well, come on, who is it? And Peter is like, kind of a bit of a loud mouth, puts his hand up and says, you're the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus goes, brilliant. No one showed you that, that God showed you that from heaven. And they start to come on this journey. But even then, as the, as the kind of pressure comes in and the Romans and Jews kind of cr- take, want to take Jesus and, and crucify him, the pressure's coming on. They didn't quite get the reality of it. They thought, yeah, you're the Son of God. But actually, once the Romans are coming to kill us, then we're going to say, oh, I never knew the guy. Or they're running away and Jesus is left on his own. He's crucified in the darkness on his own. Only the women who had guts to be there see him crucified. And then the next uh, uh, three days later, he rises from the dead. And he's a, he appears amongst them. One guy called Thomas is missing. We've got a lot of Toms in this church. I don't know why, why do people call, call the kids Tom. You know, because actually Thomas is renowned for not quite being a trusting guy. I'm looking at one of my elders over here. You know, he's a kind of, they call him Doubting Thomas, whatever. But Thomas isn't there and he says, no, I don't believe that this guy's God. I don't believe he's risen from the dead. No way. And he says, unless I put my finger, and there's a picture behind us, unless I put my finger in the, in the print of the palms, unless I put my hand in the side where the spear went down, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to believe it. And Jesus is amongst them and he sees, hey, Thomas, come on over. Before he's had a chance, Thomas never gets his finger in the print and never gets his hand in the side. He falls on his face and says to Shema, My Lord and my God. Here is all the Lord your God is one. And now he's saying, you are him. You are the God. You're the one God. It's an incredible, radical journey. And John picks up that in, in, the, in the first, in, in, his, in his gospel, he starts with, the, with these words, in the beginning was the word. He doesn't tell you who it is, but he does tell you pretty much sooner on. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And I guess every person that read that would have thought, he's referencing back to something. Because I don't know if you've ever be, uh, turned up late in a movie, uh, or you, actually it doesn't tend to happen when you go to the cinema. It tends to happen when you're like, you got that boring evening, and you're flick, I mean, flicking through TV, uh, and you kind of think, ah, there's a movie on, and you've missed the first 15 minutes, and you think, well, it looks okay, and I'll watch it. And, and we can feel like, oh, I'm trying to catch up with the story, I'm not quite sure what's going on. Uh, and missing the beginning is quite important, and we can feel like with Jesus, you know, the, the story's been going on a long time, we've had the exodus, and we've had all this other stuff, and the world's been going on a long time, and then halfway through the movie, this guy Jesus comes in and says, it's all about me, and you think, well, that, what's all that bit about? And John says, no, 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 he was there at the beginning. He makes this statement straight out of the first verses of the Bible, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Now, it's interesting, if you ask people today what was there at the beginning, they might not say God. They might not say God. If you said, what was, the beginning, what was there at the beginning of all things, I think less and less people would say God. Some would. But less and less would say, in the beginning, God. 
I mean, it was for a long time, it used to be the feeling that the universe was eternal. Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, uh, if you'd have asked him what's the question in the beginning, he'd have said, in the beginning was the universe. Because they thought the universe was eternal. The universe had always been there. That it had always been in motion. It had always been happening. And Aristotle taught that, that, that the universe were eternal. He understood our passing nature. Here today and gone tomorrow, the Bible calls us a breath. But Aristotle thought, no, the universe is eternal. And that kind of solves the problem, doesn't it? If the universe has always been here, that's not a problem. But actually what happened is as science developed uh, over the last kind of 150 years, what they did is they started to look out through telescopes and they'd see something called the redshift. And that doesn't mean the kind of move from Tory to Labour, you know, but it's a, the redshift, sorry, uh, <laughs> it's the other way around in the States, isn't it? It's kind of whatever, but, you know, so, but the, the redshift, it's actually that things, the planets and the galaxies are all going away. I don't know if you've ever stood by the side of the road and heard, uh, heard a motorbike come past you. I, I, I probably can't do it very well. It's called the Doppler effect, and the motorbike goes, yeah? What's happening when the motorbike's coming towards you, all the sound is kind of squishing up towards you, and then as it goes past, all the sound is stretched out towards you. And they're saying that's what happened with the light. And they realized the planets and the galaxies are all going away. And they thought, this is interesting, because actually the universe is, although in motion, there's something going on. And what they thought is, actually, the universe must have had a beginning. There must have been a point where all these things were all just in one place. They developed this idea of this kind of singleton point of, of mass and energy. And bang, out comes the universe. And... But the big question and uh, the, the argument is um, that it's called the Kalam argument. Kalam is actually just means it's Arabic for logic. So this was thought about by the Arabs in the 11th century. They just said uh, the obvious, everything that has a beginning has a cause. Everything that has a beginning has a cause. Now it's interesting, you might, if you're a parent, you, you, you might try this with your kids. Um, everything that has a beginning has a cause. So you go into, the, you, you go into your kid's room and you say... This room is a mess. Why is it a mess? And they go, I don't know. Why is there stuff all over the floor? I don't know. I mean, we are constantly breaking stuff in our house. I think Damaris has got a little bit of glass breaking thing. I broke a glass yesterday. It's all around the kitchen floor. You know, and it's not like, whoa, the glass just, it just fell off, didn't it? It wasn't my fault. I always I was say, stupid person left it there. You know, it's never my fault. <laughs> but you know, bottom line is we're looking for the cause. Some, everything that has an action has a reaction. That's what Newton says. Everything that has a beginning has a cause. And, the, and we say, but actually, so we're saying, okay, we need a cause here. If the universe is going to exist, we need a cause. What could that cause be? What does our world say? No cause. Nothing. There's, there's no cause. There's nothing. And we actually got this bit of a cheat going on, actually, where they say, actually, the universe is just multiple universes. The multiverse, it's just kind of been this big bang and expand. And, I mean, it's quite handy, isn't it? You push it back beyond the nothing. But actually, uh, our society and science, I think, and probably some of you are cleverer than me, to say, hey, you're really simplifying it, and I am. But, but the truth is that um, I think that the bottom line is the same. Well, what's the cause? You've either got a choice, it's God or it's nothing. But here's some questions that might be interesting, and we'll dig into these a little bit more in 3 to 1. Let me just race through them. Okay, how do you get something out of nothing? How do you get something out of nothing? Um, 
It's funny, people laugh, don't they? Uh, uh, if you say, oh, I believe in the virgin birth. And they go, what? How can you have a Jesus born without a, without a guy? You know, it doesn't work that way. You believe in the virgin birth? You must be stupid. And lots and lots of people say they don't believe in the virgin birth, but, but they believe in the virgin birth of the universe. Like, there's no man, no woman. There it is. How do you get something out of nothing? That is a big jump. That's a big jump. How do you get something from nothing? How do you get uh, atoms and matter and energy and space and time from nothing? Okay, let's, pursue, let's assume that you can get all that from nothing. The next big question is, how do you get order out of chaos? So if you go back to your kid's bedroom, they say, I'll tidy it up tomorrow. I'll tidy it tomorrow. Now what they're really saying is that out of this chaos, order will just happen. It just will happen. They'll play on their PlayStation, and, they'll, and then the order will just happen. But we all know there needs to be an input of energy. Obviously, that's a strange concept. It's even a strange concept for guys when they're tidying their mandrel. You know, an input of energy that to, to create order out of chaos. But actually, what, 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 what people believe, or what scientists believe, is, is actually, we set this big explosion at the start of the universe, and bang, and out of it doesn't come disorder and chaos. What comes is order. Suddenly we've got elements and, and compounds and we've got, we've got planets and stars and galaxies and, and order comes and you look at the order of the universe. How can you look at the order of the universe and not think this is something that's ordered by, not by chance. This is ordered by, by, by someone who's ordered it. I mean, in fact, the, and I, I know again it's a simplification because I can't do the maths, but, but the second law of thermodynamics says that, you, that everything tends to disorder. Unless you put some energy into the system. Everything's mixed up. But yet, what we believe, and we can't walk around in our world and say, yeah, yeah, the, 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 there's order has come out of chaos. What about this big jump? The jumps get bigger, by the way. I know the first one, something out of nothing feels a big jump. But actually, this is, it gets bigger. What about life from lifelessness? You've just got some chemicals, you've got some, some chemicals that are stewing around on this planet that happens to just be in the right place, not too hot, not too cold, Goldilocks planet in a great place, in a universe, and all that, and you get all this kind of the warm sun, not too hot, not too cold, you happen to have some water, we'll just, let's bring that from a meteorite, we'll get some water, mix it up, and then we get this kind of stew pre, uh, 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 of chemicals and stuff, and then lifeless stew, and then suddenly, life. Now, I know you, there's in-between stages and people say, what about viruses and stuff? But the bottom line is that you, to have life, you have to have this thing called DNA. It's like this code at the middle of cells. When cells start to get a, a nucleus, uh, they've got a fancy name for it, I won't do it. But, um, you know, when cells start to get a nucleus, in the middle of the nucleus is, 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 is DNA. When, when I was a kid at school, we used to draw a cell. You draw a circle, you put the membrane, and then you draw another circle, the nucleus, and then that was it. That was it. You, your work was done. <laughs> people doing A-level biology now go, whoa, there's a lot more going on. <laughs> you know, but right, you get in the middle, and there's this DNA. Now, I don't know about this, but, uh, you know, and some of you know a lot more about codes than others in this room, but, you know, I know that the reality is that to have a, to have a code, you have to have a code writer, right? And you have to have a code reader. But here we're saying that the, the, not only have we got life coming out of nothing, we've got this code that makes life like it is, a diversity and vibrancy of life, and we've just got this code, and it just happens to be there, and it just happens to know when a 
when a, a, an organism's growing in, in, in its mother's womb, it knows exactly what to do. That's a big jump, eh? One more. What about this? Consciousness from chemicals. Whoever, who's felt love ever? I, 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 sorry, it's just a myth. It's just chemicals, guys. Just chemicals. There's no such thing as love. You know, it's, it's, it's just chemicals. And, and who's aware that they exist? I mean, I could, I was going to say I could slap someone and then realize, no, no, that wouldn't work, would it? <laughs> slap my boy. You know, he's like, whoa. I, I'm Zach, don't do that to me. I, I'm aware of who I am. You know, the, the, the philosopher says, I think, therefore I am. That's a huge jump. And sometimes you look at your dog and say, I wonder what they're thinking. Our dog's thinking, there it must be Sunday morning. They're off to church again. You know, they're going rather early. Da, 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 da. You know, whatever. The dogs aren't doing that. They're just thinking, where's the food? <laughs> where's the food? Where's the bed? Where's the food? Where's the bed? I mean, we had some sausages stolen from our counter yesterday. He was rebuked severely. He didn't know it was him or he or rebuked. He didn't know any of those things. I just felt better for giving us back on the bottle. <laughs> In your bed. Consciousness from chemicals. We all believe that we know who we are. We've got this sense of thought and person and stuff like that. If you believe biology, it's just chemicals. What are we going to do with that? So, uh, okay, we'll dig into that a little bit more in three, two, one, but I need to race. This might be a two-part. <laughs> okay, but so what we believe is, is if there's nothing at the beginning, Richard Dawkins, who's a, an atheist, says this, the universe we observe is precisely the, precisely the properties we should expect is if there's, at the bottom of it, there's no design, no purpose, no good, no evil, nothing but blind, pitiful indifference. If you think there's a thing called good and evil, and you believe that the universe happened by, by natural means, you're wasting your time. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as good and evil. It's just chemicals. Do what you want. Your life has no purpose, no meaning if you believe that. And what we do is kind of junk draw it. We say, well, that's in there. And, you know, what is it? It doesn't answer the questions, but it doesn't matter. We'll just stick it all in there and get on with our life. Maybe we'll get to the, maybe this, we'll run through this quick. In the beginning, God. God created the heavens and the earth, says uh, Genesis. John talks about God. He says, through him all things were made, and without him was nothing made that has been made. In him was life. The big question is, which God? Which God is this? Which God? I mean, I think it was Ricky Gervais. I don't know how he, you know, a guy from the office. He said, like, there's 2,758 2, deities have been described in human existence. I mean, you know, I think he should get a life, shouldn't he? He's counting them, but he's saying, like, you know, so, okay, out of the 2,700 and whatever, is it, which one are we talking about here? Which one are we talking about? Because the um, assumption is all keys are the same. All gods are the same, all keys are the same, I'll just check on and it opens the door, yeah, we'll have one called Buddhism, that'll open the door, Islam, materialism, you know, paganism, I'll just, they'll all open the door and they all end up to the same place. Actually, I think that's not true. What about if God at the beginning was an almighty power? I've done a small G, so that should give you a clue to the question. What if God was all about power? Think about what that guy, that God would all be about. Christopher Hitchens, who's, who died recently, who's a, a, who would describe himself as an anti-theist, he said this, belief in God is a totalitarian belief. It's like belief in a Fuhrer, dictator. 
It's the wish to be a slave. It's the desire that there is an unalterable, unchallengeable, tyrannical authority who can convict you of thought crime. You can subject you to total, round-the-clock surveillance every waking or sleeping moment of your life. And even worse, is real condemning fun begins when you're dead. It would be like living in a celestial North Korea. Who desires such a ghastly fate? His idea was if God's all about power, all he's going to be interested in is watching what you're doing. All he's going to be interested in is, is checking what you're like. Now, I just want to confess, I've got a bit of a bad relationship with speed cameras. Uh, if you know me well and you've been around this church for a while, I, I, you know, they just pop out of me, take my <laughs> photograph. I'm highly photogenic when it comes to uh, speed cameras. But I don't, I don't know if anybody, does anybody love a speed camera? Come on, some of you. There must be a legalist here who says, I can understand the importance of speed limits. I mean, we do. We all, we all say, yes, that is very important. But, but we don't love speed limits. And the thing about, if God is, a, if God is all about power, all he's, do, all he's about then is, is, is about making sure that you keep the rules. I'm strong. I tell you what to do. Keep the rules. I, I want you to submit to me. There is a religion where it's actually, uh, the actual definition of the religion is called submission. Does anyone know what it is? Islam. Islam. That's what it means, to submit. You've got this powerful God, and his job is to tell you what to do. The best that can happen is they let you off. You get a speed awareness course, <laughs> and you feel, I'm so grateful for the speed awareness course. You know, four hours of my time, and... You know, 85 pounds. Uh, it's obviously very close to home. I'm not confessing how close. <laughs> I feel gratitude that I got let off. But nobody at the Speed Awareness course thinks, I love it. I love gathering Sunday by Sunday for my Speed Awareness course. <laughs> to tell you the rules and tell you how well you've done. No, 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 no. If God is an almighty power, then it's, it's always going to be about rules. It's never going to be about relationships. You can never show gratitude to a God who's all about power. So you can only show gratitude but never love. So I don't think it's all about power. What about God if God is just on his own? Some of you made me hear this, but I think you work through this with, you, with somebody and say, okay, what kind of God have you got? Well, I've got God who's powerful. Well, just let's work that through kind of God you're going to get. What about a God who's solitary? Um, uh, Mike Reeves, who wrote this brilliant book called The Good God about the Trinity, he said this, he said, uh, a God who's all on his own will be like a socially awkward single guy. And if you think about it, a God who's just God on his own would be an egotist. Why? Because all he'd have to think about is himself. If he'd been there before the world was created, before anything, all he'd have to think about is himself. He'd be naturally self-centered. He'd be, I think people that just think about themselves, we don't call them God, do we? We tend to call them self-obsessed narcissists. Some people will tell you God's like that. He just thought about himself for all eternity, and it's okay for him to be like that because he's really great. And you can, he just loves himself, and that's fine. I don't track with that. This person who's all on his own, this God who's all on his own, could never know relationships. He might put in his book that I love as one of my attributes. How can he naturally know love if he's never known relationship? So who is this Jesus God? We must lend this now. Uh, I say that as a lie. Uh, we will try and go quicker. Okay, 
This is what John says, doesn't he? He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's with God in the beginning. There's a hint right there, and you've seen these verses before, some of you, but it must strike you again and strike you afresh. There was a God who's God who's with God. There's a God with God. John calls him the Word. It's interesting, right at the beginning of the Bible, it says, uh, God says, let us make humanity in our own image. There's an us right at the beginning. Interesting that John goes on and gives us a much better illustration, this kind of, who's this word, with God, 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 with God in the beginning. What about this one, John 18, further down, if you read down, it says, Jesus Christ, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who's at the Father's side, has made him known. Now, now at the Father's side could, could be like a bus stop, couldn't it? You know, there's, there's God and then there's this other God at the bus stop together, who's at his side. But actually, the language, that, that's not very good language. If anybody likes the, the, the King James Version, it's much, much better. It, it says this, it says, No man has ever seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, only begotten means forever being given birth by. doesn't mean he was birthed, there was a time when he wasn't. And then he was given birth. No, always been given birth to, always coming from his father, as it were. He says, who is in the bosom of the father who's declared him. Now, why do you think they changed the translation? Come on, you all know. Because <laughs> kind of when you think about bosom, <laughs> you tend to think, mm, bosom, you know, because we're in this sex-obsessed world, and you think, we well, can't talk about bosoms. <laughs> so we take bosoms out. But actually, if you read a bit of Shakespeare or you look up you know, in Wikipedia on your computer when you've been this socially awkward single guy, uh, you, actually the, 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 the kind of word at the time when King James Version was written was, at, bosom means at the center of your emotions, the area enclosed by an embrace. So what's it say about these God, this God and this word who are together? It says they're in the embrace, they're in this eternal embrace, almost so much so that you can't see where one ends and the other one begins. It's a bit like dancers on Strictly Come Dancing. I didn't watch it, by the way. But dancers on Strictly Come Dancing, you know, where does one begin and where does the other end? They flow together. And there's this idea that, that, that God is this, this community of Father, Son, and Spirit, and they constantly give themselves to each other. Love became flesh. You should read this. The Word became flesh. Jesus, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling amongst us. We've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. What is this amazing thing about this Godness, this glory? John tells, uh, John tells us when he records Jesus praying. Jesus is praying in, uh, just before His crucifixion. His Father says, these are great verses. I want those you've given me to read it. Be with me where I am alongside, in the embrace, held in the heart, and to see my glory, the glory you've given me. What's the glory that is being given me? Because you loved me before the world was done. What's the answer to our question? What's happening at the beginning? At the beginning, there's a, a, a loving community of Father, Son, and Spirit. We see it at Jesus' baptism. Um, Jesus was being baptized too. We'll talk about that, why he's doing that next week. And he says, and he was praying, and heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him, body like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son who I love. With you I'm well pleased. Yeah. You know, when you give your love, the best you can do 
is say those three words as Cheryl, whatever her name is these days, Cole, Tweedy, whatever. She said, oh, I said three words. She says a song with Will I Am. I said three words, I love you. And when we want to give our love, we, we sort of say, well, we say those dangerous words. Because actually it's very hard for us to give ourselves. We say words. But actually when God, who has no body, is not constrained by physical, when he gives himself, he gives himself the Holy Spirit. God is a loving union of three. The God who is a loving father and a beloved son united in the love of the Spirit. Let's just ask this question as we land. What is real love? 1830, a guy called Henry Scrugel said this, Love is the greatest and most excellent things we are masters of. It is indeed the only thing we can call our own. Other things may be taken from us by violence, but none can seize and carry off our love. Yet, he says, by giving our love, we give our all. It's not possible to refuse someone anything to whom by love we've given ourselves. Actually, it sounds like he's writing a little marriage book about how to, how to love each other, but actually the book is called The Life of God and the Soul of Man, and he's writing about what God's like. This is what God's like. We've, we haven't time to develop it, but if you read your Bible, you find this is what God's like, that actually Jesus reveals a God that's incredibly giving himself away, and we've preached on this, and Sophie preached on this uh, some weeks back. John 13, it's, Jesus is in the Last Supper. And it says all authority and power is given to him. There is power. God is almighty. All power and authority is given to him. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he's come from God and going to God. He knew where he was and where he was going. So what does he do with all that? He doesn't say, right, I've got some rules and some things I want you to go through, some efforts I want you to make, some things I'd like you to achieve. He says, no, no, no. Let me show you what I'm like. So he got up from the meal and took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he began to pour water into a basin and wash the disciples' feet. John Piper, the American pastor, says, God is always determined to be the giver. He's always the one who's given himself away because that's what he's always been doing. The Father's always been giving himself away to the Son by the Spirit. Glenn Srivener, whose book 3 to 1 uh, shaped the course, said this, when Jesus shows us ultimate reality, he does not speak in terms of supremacy, but service. When he reveals God's life before the beginning of the world, he shows us not loneliness, but love. We do this every week, and we should still be staggered about it, that the word became flesh, became the bread of life. Jesus took on flesh. And that flesh was broken apart. It said he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Well, the world was made by him. The people said, we're not having him. Away with him. They ripped his flesh apart. Torn from his back. He said to, he said to Pilate at the time, he said, you know, you know I could call down 10,000 times 10,000 legions of angels here. Why didn't he do that? 
because he's the God who's determined to give himself away. So he took the bread after supper, and we often say this, but it says he took the bread and said, this is my body broken for you, and he said, he gave it to his disciples. He said, I'm here for you. I'm the God who gives myself away, and I'm giving myself to you. He says, after supper, he took the cup. That sounded very northern, didn't it? He took the cup, and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. He's determined to be the giver, determined to give himself away. Let me just finish with a couple of quotes. Glenn Scrivener says this, Forever the Father has loved his Son by the outpoured Spirit. We feel love is the greatest thing because the greatest thing, God, is love. The best things in life really are our relationships, the meeting of minds and the joining of hearts. If we think the universe is basically material stuff or has got its solitary raw, raw power, we won't understand it. But if we let Jesus, God's Son Jesus show us reality, we realise that the God who is three in one makes sense of everything we value. Relationships, goodness, truth, beauty and love. I don't know what kind of God you worship. If you've been a Christian, you might have got the God who thinks it's all about rules. And if you've rejected God, you might think, ah, I can't believe in a God that's all about rules and all about himself. But we've got a God who's revealed in Jesus who's all about giving himself away, all about pouring his love into you. The story of the world is that the three invite you in. The three invite you in. John records Jesus praying in that prayer that I recorded earlier. It says, I pray that Father, just as you are in me and I'm in you, that kind of embrace of the, of, of that closest embrace, just as you are in me and I'm in you, may they also be in us. It's almost as if God extends his arm wide and says, come on in, come in to this embrace. The embrace that's been there at the beginning of the universe, I invite you in. I want those you've given me, and I ask you to read it out, to be with me where I am. Where are you invited? You're invited into the embrace of the Father. Why? Because you love me before the creation of the world. Mike Reeves in his book, The Good God, says, Knowing God as Father not only wonderfully gladdens our view of God. In other words, you should feel like, whoa, I love this God. It gives us deep comfort and joy. The honour of it, says Reeves, is stupefying. To be a child of some rich king would be nice, but to be the beloved of the king of kings, the emperor of the universe, is beyond words. The salvation of this God is better than even forgiveness and certainly more secure. Other gods may offer forgiveness, but this God welcomes us and embraces us as his children, secure to enjoy his love forever. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.